0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. So in James chapter 4, verse number 5, let's look at this uh, as we uh, get into to the scriptures uh, tonight, and uh, we are going to uh, talk about some things that I believe will be a blessing to your heart. In fact, I'm going to... Uh, as we as we look at this, I'm going to uh, give you, like I said just a minute ago, a lot of scriptures to write down, and you may not get all of what I say, but if you write the scripture down, you can go back and look at it again. So verse number five says this, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Right, there's a lot in that scripture. The word that I want to dwell on tonight for a few moments is in fact this word dwelleth. That word dwelleth means indwelt. And I want you to think about this because there is a big difference in being indwelt by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. They are not the same thing, totally different. And this word right here, we're talking about, in verse number five, we're talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God. And we're talking about how the Spirit of God dwelleth in us. That meaning how the Spirit of God indwells us. And I want to clear up just momentarily a little bit about the difference between being indwelt by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time with that because I do want to linger a little bit in this thing of being indwelt by the Spirit, dwelleth in us. And so the difference between being filled. With the Spirit. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein as excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So, in one place of the scripture, we're taught to be filled with the Spirit. But here we're talking about, in James 4 5, we're talking about being indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit that dwelleth in us. Now, Being filled with the Spirit, it results in the power of the Spirit at work in our life. The indwelling of the Spirit, listen carefully, does not mean or indicate the direction in a person's life, but rather than a position of a person's life. And when you understand the difference between being indwelt and filled, a lot of the other scripture about the Spirit of God comes beautifully in perspective. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's imperative to understand. That's, that's what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit. When a person receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, immediately they are indwelt by the Spirit. That's, that's, that's paramount. Immediately when that happens. Now, here's what I want to teach you tonight, and I'm going to give you the scriptures to see uh, the comparisons. Because the Spirit of God worked differently in the Old Testament than in the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, When the Spirit of God showed up, when he touched an individual, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on a person and he would leave the person. And if you don't get that, you're going to be tangled up with this thing of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit forever. If you you don't get this idea, you say, well, you have scripture for that? Yes, I do. I want to show it to you. In fact, there are four specific scriptures that I want to give you tonight. And by the great work of Brother Justin back there, he may be able to get them for you on the screen. But the first scripture, and you write this down, Judges chapter 15 and verse number 14. And I'm going to turn to that text and I want you to see something. Judges chapter 15. And verse number 14. Again, here's the thing that you have to understand the Holy Spirit worked differently. Now, you have to remember that on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the Bible says in the upper room, the 120 disciples were praying for the promise that Jesus left with them. He said, Go to Jerusalem and I want you to tarry, I want you to pray for the promise of the Holy Spirit. We do know that on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and if you read that passage of Scripture very carefully, the Bible doesn't say, and the Holy Spirit indwelt them. The the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit had his beginning in the upper room at Pentecost. Well, to say that and believe that would be the same thing as believing that Jesus Christ had his beginning in the manger of Bethlehem and Judea. And we know that's not the case. Jesus did not have his beginning in Bethlehem's manger. I've been asked a question a couple of times in my ministry. Well, if the Holy Spirit showed up in the Old Testament? Is it possible that Jesus himself showed up in the Old Testament? Well, I would encourage you to study the ministry of Melchizedek. Because when you study the ministry, the priestly ministry of Melchizedek, the Bible clearly says that Melchizedek had no father and had no mother. Now, who would the priest be? You think about that just for a moment. That's not my study tonight. It's another whole different study altogether. But you study the, the priesthood of Melchizedek and uh, see what you conclude. That, that's another study at another time. I don't have enough time to go into that tonight. But in comparison, the Holy Spirit did not have his beginning at Pentecost. He came to the upper room at Pentecost, but that does not mean that he didn't show up in other places. I can go all the way back to Genesis. When God said, let us make man in our own image, that word us is a triune word, meaning three. So when God said, let us make man in our own image, he's talking about the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we know the presence of the Godhead was at work in the Garden of Eden. But not only that, you can go back to the foundations of the world because what God said of Jesus, that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. So don't ever think Jesus had his beginning in Bethlehem of Judea. He has been here forever. And likewise, don't think that the Holy Spirit had his beginning at Pentecost because he has been here forever as with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ having said all of that and that's very elementary that's that's very simple stuff but if you're wrong in the foundation you're wrong with everything else so again now the Holy Spirit which has always been did in fact Show up with a ministry in the Old Testament. And again, the Holy Spirit worked different in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament, and even in this age of grace. And this is what I want you to see in Judges chapter 15 and verse 14. Again, the Holy Spirit, the way that the Spirit of God worked in the Old Testament is he would come on an individual and he would leave. He would come, he would leave. He would come and he would leave. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to explain to you that these people in the Old Testament, they were not indwelt by the spirit. The spirit of the living God came upon them. But in the New Testament, you have just read this passage of scripture in James chapter four, verse number five, talking about how the spirit of God indwelleth us. So as the Old Testament reveals that the Spirit of God would come upon a person and leave a person, the New Testament clearly teaches us that the ministry of the Holy Spirit, when a person gets saved, immediately the Holy Spirit comes in them, not on them, but in them, and seals them until the day of redemption. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. In Judges chapter 15, verse number 14, notice this. And when he came unto Lehi, this is dealing with Samson and how he slays his thousands and so forth. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And look at this. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Look at that. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire and his bands loosed from His hands, all right? So Samson, uh, the mighty judge that he was, uh, the mighty pillar of strength uh, for the children of Israel, the spirit of God would come upon him and leave, come upon him and leave. Again, I emphasize, would come upon him. And when the spirit of God came upon him, it enabled him to do these mighty, incredible, miraculous Things. Now, I want you to see something else. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and I want us to look at verse number 18. 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and verse number 18. And, and again, I'm going to give you four illustrations tonight that parallels uh, with being indwelt, being filled, how the Spirit of God worked in the Old Testament, how the Spirit of God works in the New Testament. All right, we're still on the Old Testament perspective. Here in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse number 18, again, once again, the Bible says, Then the Spirit came upon Amazai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thy son of Jesse, peace. Peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers for thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. But the first part of this I want you to see is then the spirit came upon Amaziah. All right. Spirit of God did not come in him, but upon him. Again, this was the ministry. This was the method that God chose for the working of the spirit in the Old Testament, let me show you another verse real quickly here. Psalms fifty-one, eleven, is a precious, precious passage of Scripture, and when you when you look at this, and I'm going to turn to uh, show you this as well. Psalms chapter fifty-one and verse number eleven. David realized the, how the working of the Spirit. Uh, was was manifested, how the spirit of God would come upon a person, and it, he was very sensitive to this, especially uh, in the dilemma of his adultery and uh, his his uh, rebellion against god but this is what he says. In verse 10, let me go back and read verse 10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. But then he says, cast me not away from thy presence. And notice this, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David was well familiar with the fact how the spirit of God would come upon a person and leave. And David was saying, I am so sorry, God. Please don't take him from me. Please don't do that. Cast not, he said, away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. One more scripture tonight about this. And if you'll look at Ezekiel chapter 11, and I'm going to read for you in verse number five. And this was in the relationship to some wicked leaders that uh, were in fact uh, to be judged. Um, I want you to see this. And there's more of this in chapter 11, but I want you to see particularly verse number five. So Ezekiel eleven five, the Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, speak thus saith the Lord. Thus have you said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. And so the thing that I want you to get tonight, and these are four examples, four passages of scripture that the ministry, the working of the Holy Spirit in the old Testament under the old covenant was that the spirit of God would come upon a person and he would rest upon that person until the work which God wanted to accomplish was completed. And then when that work was completed, the Holy Spirit would depart, but that doesn't mean depart from ever the, the, Spirit of God would come upon these individuals periodically to do the things that would bring honor to God. Now, I want you to think about this because Jesus revealed to his disciples about the new role that the Spirit of God would bring. And he went on to describe that. He says uh, that the new role of the Spirit Jesus was saying, the spirit, my Holy Spirit is now going to live inside of you. It's not just about the spirit of God coming upon you, but the spirit of the living God, he's going to live inside of you and he will be in you. You say, well, do you have a a scripture for that preacher? Yes. Let me share share this with you and go back with me to John chapter 14. And I want you to look at verse number 17. And Jesus made this uh, very clear. Again, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament changes everything. Now the Spirit of God is not just coming upon a person, but he's coming inside of a person. When a person becomes born again, uh, he is converted. He has become a believer, a new believer. Uh, The Spirit of God now dwells within him. And Paul made mention of that as well. But let's look at John 14, verse 17. Look at this. Even the Spirit of truth, this is the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Now here Jesus gives the clear explanation. But ye know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So in James chapter four, verse number five, when James is talking about the Holy Spirit dwelleth in us. Jesus made reference of that himself and he makes it very, very clear here. And as a result of this in Pentecost, the apostle Paul had much to say about it. In fact, he gives us clear admonishment. And I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians because he asked the question, do you not know that your body is the temple? of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit lives and where the Holy Spirit dwells. So let's look at this passage, a very familiar passage of scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Look at this now. Which is in you? We have read it to where Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would dwell in you. And are talking about in this New Testament era. The Holy Spirit would dwell in you. Paul now says, which dwells in you. James said, which indwells you. But let's read the rest of it here. Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, which are God's. So we have seen tonight in these few moments three instances where we are told that the Holy Spirit of God indwells us as believers. And so when I think about those particular passages, these verses are telling us that a believer in Jesus Christ, we do have the third person of the Godhead the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus verified that. Paul said it. James also reiterated it. And when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the Holy Spirit gives the believer, that individual, the life of God and eternal life. And There's a passage of scripture in the book of Titus. Let's look at it real quickly here tonight in our study. In Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Let me make mention of this. This is a verse that I refer to a lot even in my Sunday morning preaching. But this passage of scripture says in Titus 3, 5, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And the general idea from this verse gives us the impeccable truth that we cannot work our way to heaven. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. But to further the study of this particular verse, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And this is what I want you to see by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So, as in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is a very divine structure, purpose, method, and type of working of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a big difference. Paul said, be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians. And Jesus taught us that in the other element of being indwelt, that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Now, there's no way that I'm going to be able to give you all of these attributes tonight, but I want to emphasize something. When we become indwelt by the Spirit, again, there's a difference between being indwelt and filled. When we are indwelt, when the Spirit of the living God comes into us, there are several attributes that follows that. And that's what I want to share with you tonight. Now, let let me be clear with something first. Not everybody that says they are saved are saved. So the Holy Spirit doesn't come into everybody that says they're saved, but people who are true. You know the verse, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things? And he will say in the end, depart from me, you that work iniquity, for I never knew you. But I'm talking about people who are genuinely born again. People who are truly saved. When a person gets truly saved, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells them. Jesus said the Spirit would come into you. Again, there's a difference between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt with the Spirit. Now, these are the attributes. If you're going to write them down or make some notations, they're very noteworthy, I assure you that, because the Spirit, as the Spirit indwells us, it, he does bring upon us some life-changing results. Number one, the indwelling Spirit comes to a dead soul in sin and creates the newness of life. That's when the Holy Spirit indwells somebody. That's what the Spirit of God does. He comes to a dead soul and he creates new life. And that's what this verse in Titus is also reiterating. And you can write down John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. In fact, I want to take time to look at that. And I don't know how many other scriptures we will get to in reference to this, but... These are all noteworthy of looking at as we study the word together tonight. So look with me in John chapter 3, and I want to read for you verses 1 through 8. I love doing this because this is what Wednesday night Bible study is all about, that we are studying the word together. I'm not preaching a sermon tonight. I'm giving you Bible study. And so cross-referencing here is precious in that format. Now look at this. In John chapter 3, I want to read for you verses 1 through 8. Look, follow along with me. They'll get it on the screen for you. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeneth and thou hearest the sound thereof but canst not tell where it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. So when a person is born again, they are born of the Spirit, and immediately the Spirit of the living God comes in and indwells them. And so here's how it happens, the indwelling of the Spirit. I'm not talking about the filling of the Spirit. I'm not talking about being filled with the Spirit. But the indwelling of the Spirit, here's what happens. The Spirit of the living God comes to a dead soul in sin, and creates new life. We are quickened, we're made alive. And that's what is called the new birth when that happens. I have time to give you one more tonight. I've got a few more that I want to give you next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But secondly, tonight, if you're writing these things down, the indwelling of the spirit confirms to the believer that he belongs to the Lord that he is an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ. That's an important attribute of being indwelt by the Spirit. And the last scripture that I want to read for you tonight is found in the book of Romans. And I want you to look at this in Romans chapter 8. We'll get there real quickly. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look with me, beginning with verse number 15. And I want to read for you Romans 8, 15 through 17. Paul again is writing, and he says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And so the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he confirms to us as believers that we belong to the Lord that we are an heir of God and we are a joint heir of Christ. So we need to put the pause button on here tonight until next Wednesday night. But again, you have to understand that there's a big difference in being indwelt with the Spirit. When you are indwelt with the Spirit, the Spirit will never leave you. The Spirit of God would come and go, come and go in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. But when you are indwelt by the Spirit, when you are born again, when you are made an heir of God's family, a joint heir of Christ, when you are adopted to where you can cry, Abba, Father, you are a true child of God. When you are indwelt, listen now, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Jesus said that. The spirit dwelleth in you. You are born again. You are justified. You are saved. You are born again one time. The spirit of the living God that gives you the new birth, he will never depart from you. The word says we are sealed into the day of redemption. But being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt with the Spirit is just as far apart as being justified and sanctified. We are justified one time by faith, but we need to be sanctified every day. Every single day we need to be sanctified. And that is we're saying, Lord Jesus, what does that word mean anyway? Sanctified, sanctification. Sanctification means a daily setting apart from the world. That's that's imperative for you to know. And so this is how that works. You wake up in the morning and you say, Lord Jesus, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would help me sanctify my life today, set me apart from the world. Please, God, don't let the worldly influences overpower me come into my mind. Uh, Lord, detour me, distract me, and help me to be just as close to the cross that I possibly can be today. I sanctify myself, Lord. I set myself apart from the world, and I pray that today would be a good day for your honor and glory. This is a prayer that we pray daily. This is a prayer of sanctification. One time... We ask the Lord Jesus to come into our heart and to be our personal savior. Now, let let me say this. I cannot tell you how many people over the years have told me this. Pastor, I know that I'm saved. I remember the day. I remember the time. I remember the place. I know that I'm saved, but I'm going to be honest with you and maybe not everybody else will be as honest as I'm going to be with you, but I'm going to tell you this. Every Sunday when you stand at that pulpit and you pray that sinner's prayer, I'm going to tell you, preacher, I pray that prayer. Now let me tell you this. Don't let the devil, if you are truly born again, you have truly been saved by the grace of God, don't let the devil steal your joy. He'll try to do it. How many times has the devil ever really authentically made you think that you weren't saved? You you ever been to that place? And so he will play with your mind. Now, you can only be saved one time. You When the Holy Spirit comes in, he doesn't work in the New Testament like he did in the Old Testament. Old Testament, he come and go, come and go. In the New Testament, when he comes in you, when he dwells in you, the Bible says this, we're sealed until the day of redemption. So when you pray that prayer, that sinner's prayer, and you mean it with all of your heart, you know that you know that you know that you're saved. But something stirs your heart, and you just want to pray that prayer, well, God's not going to punish you for praying that prayer, and God's not going to send you to hell because you prayed that prayer a hundred times. But I just want you to know something, that when you prayed that prayer one time, and you meant it with every fiber of your soul, everything's all right in your Father's house. Everything is all right between you and God. And if praying that prayer makes you feel okay, again, now, now I don't want to give you any false gospel here tonight because you can only be saved one time. It's just like I've had people that tell me they followed the Lord and believe His baptism. They say, "But I've rededicated my life to the Lord. Will you rebaptize me?" I'll rebaptize you, but I, re- but you know. When you follow the Lord in baptism, it's an open sign that you have trusted him as your personal savior. You only really need to be saved one time and only baptized one time. But I have baptized the same person three or four times because of the recommitment that they have made to Christ. Let me share this with you. I don't know if this is going to happen, but this is the first in my ministry over 40 years of preaching gospel. We have a family that's been watching us on the Internet. And they called this week and said, we have been saved, but we have never been baptized. Would you baptize us? Of course, I said, sure. They, they want to come and be baptized. Now, I don't know if they will or not, but that's what they said they wanted. It's important to be saved. It's important to be baptized. And you don't have to keep doing it ritualistically. So tonight, I hope that this has been a good study for you. Learn the difference. When the Holy Spirit comes in, He indwells you. But when Paul said, be filled with the Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit every day. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at